previously on The Dropout. We've heard the human toll of those who put their faith in Theranos, from a woman receiving devastating news about a pregnancy to a four-star general and former Theranos board member looking to improve the lives of soldiers on the battlefield. Once in a while, we can all be fooled by something. I would rather trust a little too much at times because most people will not betray the trust. This week, some shocking insight from a lab director who says he tried to stop the train before it ran off the tracks. From ABC Audio, this is The Dropout, Elizabeth Holmes on trial. Episode 7, Sounding the Alarm. Four weeks into the criminal trial of Elizabeth Holmes, we've heard from powerful and prestigious voices, but perhaps none as consequential as the government's eighth witness. Could you state your name for the record? Adam Rosendorf. Adam Rosendorf, a scientist and medical doctor who took the oath to do no harm, and Theranos' former lab director, who painted a blistering picture of the company. Rosendorf told the court this week he tried repeatedly to raise concerns with Elizabeth Holmes that lives were in the balance before Theranos went live with its technology inside of Walgreens. Here's Santa Clara University law professor Ellen Kreitzberg, who's been following the case in the courtroom. I'd say on both sides, he's probably the most important witness so far in terms of proving the specific elements in the case. Other witnesses were important to the government to give this case that emotional appeal, that sympathetic look, but in terms of factual information about what was going on in the lab and what was being told to Elizabeth Holmes, so far he's the most important witness. Dr. Rosendorf told the court he started at Theranos in the spring of 2013, just five months before the Walgreens launch. Remember, recordings of the trial aren't allowed, but we've obtained video from when Rosendorf was deposed for a civil suit against Theranos in 2018. Much of it closely resembles his testimony this week. Tell me how how it is that you uh, came to be employed at Theranos. I responded to a LinkedIn post. Did they say what position they were looking for? Yes. What was that? Laboratory director. Dr. Rosendorf testified that he joined Theranos because he really bought into the idea of laboratory testing being done with a very small finger prick sample. And then you met with Elizabeth Holmes? And what did she tell you? Or what did she She say? She said I was the best candidate they had so far. He initially thought Theranos could be the next Apple, but that it wasn't long before the sheen wore off. As he told the jurors, he quickly came to believe Theranos was more about PR and fundraising than about patient care. So what did Dr. Rosendorf see that gave him such a cynical impression? Dr. Rosendorf testified that, to his surprise, Theranos avoided doing formal proficiency testing on their proprietary devices, something he also said in his 2018 deposition. At the time of August of 2013, you had no proficiency testing. Correct. Proficiency testing is a standard practice used in labs to ensure accuracy. Rosendorf was troubled, he said, by the unwillingness of management to perform proficiency testing as required by law, and told the court he felt pressured to vouch for tests he didn't have confidence in. 
Proficiency testing is the kind of blind testing of samples. Are they getting the right answers and do they have their processes in place? Dr. Ann Kopsill is a retired former biotech industry executive with a PhD in chemical engineering from Stanford, where she studied under Professor Channing Robertson, once one of Elizabeth's biggest champions. Kopsill has been attending the trial and says she can understand why Dr. Rosendorf found it so troubling Theranos wasn't running these proficiency tests. I think most people that run a lab and work in a lab realize the seriousness of the work they're doing and they really want the answers that they provide to patients to be accurate every single time. And the labs are complicated. You know, many things could go wrong. This is a way for people that run the lab and work in the lab to be sure that they've really got all their ducks in a row. Dr. Copsill's connection to the trial, by the way, isn't just Stanford and Channing Robertson. During her years in biotech, Copsill helped develop a product called the Piccolo. It sounds similar to the blood testing device Theranos wanted to make. I worked on a product that is a small box, uh, we called it toaster size, that takes a drop of blood and in 10 minutes gives you answers to 12 blood chemistries, more of the simple ones like cholesterol and glucose and some liver enzymes. That product launched uh, in 1995 and is still on the market. Elizabeth even approached Dr. Copsill to be an advisor to Theranos in the early days of the company something that never fully materialized. Now retired, Copsill was very interested to hear Dr. Rosendorf's testimony. I think he is a serious medical scientist, wants to do right by patients, and had extreme discomfort over the blood testing answers that the Theranos systems were calculating and delivering to physicians and patients. And he felt responsible for it. And he just he just could not live with it after a while to be part of these poor, poor medical answers. Dr. Rosendorf told the court he raised concerns about Theranos's lack of proficiency testing on numerous occasions, even at one point meeting personally with Elizabeth something he also shared in that 2018 deposition. So you go to Elizabeth's office, was she there alone? Yes. Okay, and what did you say to her? We really need to perform proficiency because it's been almost a year and we haven't done any proficiency and you're supposed to do it twice a year. So we're in, we're in violation. But according to Dr. Rosendorf, nothing changed. Nothing got done, so I thought that the company was paying lip service and they weren't sincere in diverting resources to doing this. And as Dr. Rosendorf told the court, the problems went much deeper than a lack of internal checks and balances. Recall Theranos was pushing to roll out its wellness centers in Walgreens stores across the country, as Elizabeth boasted in interviews like this one. Are you able to say like in five years how many Walgreens you might be in? Sure, so there's, there's... 8,200 Walgreens nationally. Mm -hmm. That would put us within five miles of every American's home. Just nine days before the launch of this giant undertaking, Dr. Rosendorf said he raised the alarm bells, writing in an email to Elizabeth, I have some medical and operational concerns about our readiness for September 9th. He asked her to delay the launch, adding, 
I would like us to be the best that we can be. A few more weeks to sort through these medical and logistical issues and getting the proper level of training and staffing would help us tremendously. Rosendorf testified that shortly after he sent the message, he went to meet with Elizabeth in person. When he arrived, Rosendorf said Elizabeth had papers stuck to the office window with numbers on them, a kind of countdown clock. But Elizabeth, according to Rosendorf, wasn't acting like her typical, resolute, confident self, the type of leader she usually projected to investors and employees. We focused a great deal on these tests and validated and verified them over the years such that the quality of the data that we generate could be used in an actionable manner by clinicians. Rosendorf told the court in this meeting, Elizabeth instead was very nervous. She was not composed. She was trembling. Her knee was tapping. Her voice was breaking up. She was clearly upset. Did she seem surprised to be hearing about these issues from you? Prosecutor John Bostic asked. She didn't seem surprised to me, Rosendorf responded. She just seemed nervous and upset. On August 31st, 2013, again, just days before the launch, Elizabeth sent an email at 1 a.m. asking for an update on how many tests had completed validation. An employee wrote back, as of right now, none. And just how unusual would something like this be so close to a rollout? Here's Dr. Ann Copsill again. I've worked uh, mostly in product development, launching new products, and there are always a thousand problems right before you launch. All the problems seem to surface. So the fact that there are issues right before you launch is not a surprise. The stakes are so high, though, with patient and blood testing. I think that would have to give a normal company with normal management that cared about their reputation a huge pause right before launch. And the top people normally would really want to look into it and find out exactly what the problems are and see what risk exposure they were going to have if they really went through with the launch. And does the way that Dr. Rosendorf framed it in his testimony as sending this message to Elizabeth, having a meeting with her in her office and essentially being told we're moving forward. Does that sound typical to you? For a blood testing device, I would say no. It's a very high stakes business decision, these launch decisions. You don't want to delay and delay and delay, but you certainly want to delay until no patient health is going to be put at risk. How would you describe the pace of events and the work that was happening leading up to that commercial launch? Prosecutor Bostic asked Dr. Rosendorf. Rosendorf's answer, extremely rushed and hurried. Even with knowledge of all these issues, Dr. Rosendorf testified that Elizabeth pressured the team to move forward. But with a workaround, instead of using the Edison, the name Theranos' mini blood testing device was going by at the time, Elizabeth instructed the team to run problematic tests on conventional third-party devices, according to Rosendorf. But this wasn't what Elizabeth had sold to Walgreens or the story she would come to preach in interviews once they went live at Walgreens. So our work is in making lab data accessible. And we've done that by making it possible to do 
any lab test from a tiny drop of blood from a finger. All sorts of tests on that single drop of blood. That's right. Nor was it what Theranos said in advertisements around the launch. Remember the famous Errol Morris campaign where Theranos tests were positioned as easy, quick, and painless? Well, I was wondering if you would take a blood test for us, which is one drop of blood. One drop? Bring it on. All set. That's it. How are you feeling? Feeling good. The same little... Dr. Rosendorf testified that even after Theranos launched its wellness centers inside Walgreens, that behind the scenes, the majority of tests were requiring tubes of blood and being done on third-party devices or modified third-party devices, something he says was well-known within the walls of Theranos. Here he is again in his 2018 deposition. At the time of the rollout, the mini-lab still wasn't working, correct? Correct. So with the first store in Palo Alto, in November of 2013 through the end of uh, 2013, uh, do you know how many samples came in from uh, the Palo Alto store that were uh, finger stick versus venous draws? Mostly venous draws and a minority were finger stick. According to Dr. Rosendorf, that minority of tests Theranos was actually running with smaller sample sizes were frequently unreliable, like those HCG tests to check pregnancy hormones. Recall Brittany Gould, the patient you met in last week's episode, who received an inaccurate Theranos HCG test and thought she'd suffered a miscarriage. Dr. Rosendorf testified he was aware of frequent accuracy issues with the HCG test and that he raised the problem with Elizabeth, telling her he was freaked out by how badly they were performing. He testified Elizabeth responded by telling him, don't be freaked out. According to the government, even Elizabeth's own brother, Christian, the liaison between Theranos and doctor-patient complaints, flagged the issues. Writing in an email to Elizabeth, Christian said, Just FYI, HCG right now causing some serious issues in patient complaints. Been spending all morning talking to docs about just HCG. It's a sensitive one, obviously, because of people finding out if pregnant. Elizabeth replied, this is already handled. Whatever Elizabeth did to handle the issue, Theranos did not pull the tests off their Edison machines, which is what Dr. Rosendorf testified he advised. Rosendorf's warnings and Christian's email to Elizabeth came in June 2014, months before Brittany Gould received her devastating incorrect results that indicated she was having a miscarriage. An HCG wasn't the only test failing. According to Dr. Rosendorf, there were also issues with the HDL or cholesterol test on Theranos' devices. Christian also sounded the alarm about other tests in an email to his sister Elizabeth. Leaving Dr. Rosendorf off the chain, he wrote, it's pretty obvious we have issues with calcium, potassium, and sodium. Christian then added, obviously I can't tell physicians we are wrong. Law professor Ellen Kreitzberg says Christian's email included valuable revelations. Do you think that it matters that he in that email directly said, we can't tell them, them as in physicians, that we're wrong? Yes, because that was sent directly to Elizabeth Holmes, where he's expressing a strategy not to make this information public. 
Dr. Rosendorf also testified that Theranos was misleading physicians. Instead of knowingly reporting incorrect results, the company would just pretend the results weren't available. Rosendorf said customer service reps were instructed on occasion to say the results were not reported due to temporary unavailability. Dr. Ann Kopp-Sill says she hasn't heard anything like this before. They told doctors, oh, that test is not available, uh, rather than give these what everybody thought were erroneous results. That is super unusual. So people went in for these tests. They actually got them. And then their doctors were informed by Theranos. The results are never going to be available. I suppose if you were going in for a whole panel of, let's say, 14 things, and then three of them did not come back, maybe you'd think, well, okay, at least I got the other 11. But as a patient, I would hate that if I had gone in and then got told, nope, sorry, that one was not available. Dr. Rosendorf testified Elizabeth and Sonny even pushed him to justify the erroneous results and to try and dig up patient factors that would explain the erroneous results. Anything other than telling physicians Theranos tests were inaccurate. This made Dr. Rosendorf extremely uneasy. As he told the court, I had a duty as a physician to be honest and straightforward with the providers. I also had obligations within the company. I had a duty as a lab director to be transparent with the clients. At one point, he just started refusing to talk to physicians altogether, Rosendorf testified. And he began forwarding emails to a separate Gmail account to keep a personal record of what was happening. He said he knew this would likely violate the Theranos NDA he signed, but he wanted to protect himself and wasn't confident Theranos would preserve these emails in the event of a government investigation. Something he also said in his 2018 deposition. Why did you take copies of these? I wanted to protect myself in case there were any legal proceedings against Theranos or myself. After a little over a year with the company, Dr. Rosendorf decided he'd had enough. Despite my best efforts to improve tests, to work my hardest, to alert management to problems, the number and severity of issues had reached a crescendo for me, he testified. Rosendorf emailed Elizabeth, I feel really uncomfortable with what's happening right now in this company. I am feeling pressured to vouch for results that I cannot be confident in. Elizabeth wrote back, how sad and disappointing to see this from you. She went on, outside of the fact that you've never emailed me on any concerns you allude to, but now email this, you know from every conversation we've ever had together how fundamental it is to all of us for you or any other employee, never to do anything you're not completely confident in. Dr. Rosendorf told the court Elizabeth's version of events in her email response was a complete fabrication. He testified, I had frequent conversations with Elizabeth about concerns that I had in the laboratory. As the jury has seen, a number of emails dealing with these issues were CC'd to Elizabeth. I emailed Elizabeth directly on occasion to alert her to concerns. I had at least one meeting in her office before the launch to discuss my concerns. Dr. Rosendorf testified that he found a new job at another diagnostic company and emailed Sonny and Elizabeth to quit. On his last day at Theranos, Dr. Rosendorf said he walked out right past Sonny's extended hand without shaking it. 
But if Dr. Rosendorf leaving left any mark on Elizabeth or her company, you wouldn't know it. Theranos found a replacement, albeit an odd choice for the job, as Rosendorf noted in his deposition, and someone we're likely to hear from later in this trial. Do you know who became the next lab director? Dr. Dawan. Dr. Dawan was a dermatologist, He was a dermatologist, yeah. Had he ever run a lab before? I don't believe so. The same month as Dr. Rosendorf's departure, November 2014, the good publicity was rolling in. And soon, so were millions in new funds for the company. Elizabeth texted Sonny with big news. Theranos was about to get two multi-million dollar investments. Alice Walton, heir to the Walmart fortune, and media titan Rupert Murdoch were both in. They are not investing in our company, Sonny texted back. They're investing in our destiny. A few weeks later, during a full moon, Elizabeth texted Sonny, my new life as of this night and forevermore, total confidence in myself, best business person of the year. Sonny responded, awesome. You are listening and paying attention. As 2014 came to a close, it would seem Dr. Rosendorf's departure and all his warnings were firmly in the rearview mirror. Elizabeth texted Sonny, this year is our year. We can never forget that, Tiger. I know, I'm focused on it, Sonny replied. I am focused on it too, Elizabeth wrote back. And for our kids, never forget who we are. Hey, this is Brad Milkey. I host ABC's daily news podcast, Start Here. The Dropout will be back in a minute, but first. Some folks don't stop searching till they find the truth. If you've got a detective's eye, June's Journey is the game for you. Play as June Parker in a gripping murder mystery as you find hidden objects to help solve her sister's death. You'll hunt for clues in hundreds of beautifully illustrated scenes set in the roaring 20s. New chapters are added weekly. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices, as well as on PC through Facebook games. Springtime is all about fresh air, fresh starts, and freshly cleaned homes. It's the perfect time to give a fresh look at Simply Safe Home Security. Trusted by experts, Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System for 2024 by U.S. News & World Report. Newsweek awarded it Best Customer Service in Home Security. The system blankets your whole home in protection. It's got sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more, plus a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch over your property day and night. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a buck a day, so you get fast emergency response and dispatch when you need it most. Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera, warning them that they're being recorded and police are on their way. With no contract and a 60-day money-back guarantee, you can try Simply Safe risk-free. If you don't absolutely love it, just send the system back for a full refund. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system. When you sign up for fast product monitoring, just visit simplysafe.com slash dropout. That's simply S I M P L I simplysafe.com slash dropout. There's no safe like simply safe. 
I want to invite you to start your day with us. Every morning on Start Here, we dive deep into the biggest news stories with some of the best journalists in the world. It's smart, it's relevant, and maybe most importantly for you, it's quick. Again, that's Start Here, the daily podcast from ABC News, available wherever you listen. While most of the interactions inside the courtroom have been cordial, deferential, and even at times playful, what came after the prosecution's questioning of Dr. Rosendorf was anything but. Here's law professor Ellen Kreitzberg. When the defense started their cross-examination of Dr. Rosendorf, they came out swinging, guns were blazing. The demeanor, the tone, the anger of the defense attorney was different than with any other witness. Retired biotech industry executive, Dr. Ann Kopp-Sill, who was also sitting in court, said it even made her a little uneasy. It frankly made me uncomfortable as a listener. I thought the defense attorney was asking questions that you would ask of a liar and a scoundrel. He was saying things like, and are you aware you were under oath? And is it your testimony that you did not lie? But according to Kreitzberg, despite the aggressive style, the defense accomplished a lot. The defense is going to try to make him out as the bad guy. Basically, he was the guy in charge. He was the one, if there were problems, that were in charge of fixing those problems and that he didn't communicate those issues to Elizabeth Holmes. He was the one that made errors, made mistakes, and didn't follow through. Defense attorney Lance Wade began his cross-examination by handing Dr. Rosendorf two binders filled with statements the lab director had previously made. Throughout the questioning, Wade frequently referred back to these documents, continuously alleging there were inconsistencies between what Dr. Rosendorf was telling the court now versus what he'd said in the past. Wade also made a point of telling the court Dr. Rosendorf had multiple meetings with the government ahead of the trial. Wade intimated Rosendorf had been coached and asked whether the government ever had to, quote, refresh his recollection. No, Dr. Rosendorf answered. Clearly, the goal of that cross-examination was to suggest that although Rosendorf knows what happened, that the government couched it and tried to frame it in such a way to make it just a little bit worse for Elizabeth Holmes and just point the finger a little more directly at her. Wade then walked Dr. Rosendorf through the federal lab regulations. He reminded the jury Rosendorf was the person responsible for ensuring patient results were accurate and reliable. Wade brought up Dr. Rosendorf's concern over Theranos' lack of proficiency testing. Ultimately, it is your responsibility, right? Wade asked. Yes, the lab director replied. Wade brought up Theranos' quality controls. It was your responsibility to ensure that quality control was performed, right? Correct, answered Rosendorf. Wade called attention to Theranos' validation reports, signed by Dr. Rosendorf. Rosendorf testified he had willingly signed off and wouldn't have put his name on something inherently unreliable, same as he'd said in his 2018 deposition. I signed the validation reports because I believed that they were valid, not because of any pressure that was put upon me. Wade made an effort to distance Elizabeth from Dr. Rosendorf's most damning claims. Most notably, Wade explicitly said Rosendorf was never told by Ms. Holmes to report an inaccurate result. 
correct? Correct, Dr. Rosendorf replied. The cross-examination of Dr. Rosendorf did a lot to show how Elizabeth Holmes was not part of the day-to-day decision-making of how the lab operated, and she was not privy even to some of the information when things went wrong. Wade asked Dr. Rosendorf about his meeting with Elizabeth ahead of the Walgreens launch, the one where Rosendorf warned Elizabeth they weren't ready, and she decided to move forward anyway suggesting they use third-party machines for tests that were proving problematic on the Edison. Was she in a position to tell her lab director what to do when it came to how patient tests were run? The defense asked. No, she was not in a position to direct, Dr. Rosendorf testified. The defense's point here, the decision, even if Elizabeth, the CEO, suggested it, was still ultimately the lab director's choice. Elizabeth made suggestions, not orders, the defense underscored. Wade continued to play up Elizabeth's lack of experience in lab work, making reference to her background, her age, the fact she dropped out of Stanford at just 19 and didn't have the scientific pedigree of Dr. Rosendorf. So they did a lot to insulate Elizabeth Holmes from decision-making about what was happening in the labs and putting her really in that place as the face of the company with the outside world. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. The first ever criminal trial of a former president is underway in Manhattan. It's one of potentially four trials facing former President Trump as he makes his third bid for the White House. What do voters think about his culpability, and would a guilty verdict make a difference in the election? I'm Galen Druk, and every Monday and Thursday on the 538 Politics podcast, we break down the latest news from the campaign trail. We sort through the noise and zoom in on what really matters using data and research as we go. That's 538 Politics every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. At times, Wade seemed to temper his aggressive stance going with a more toned-down approach. Here's Ellen Kreitzberg again. I don't know if he got information saying, ratchet it back a little bit, this doesn't play well, or if he just decided in a new line of questioning to take a different approach. But tensions continued to flare up again and again. Wade brought up Theranos' quality controls. Implementation of the QC policy was your job, right, sir? Correct, Dr. Rosendorf answered. But Rosendorf didn't stop there. He continued, I mean, you keep saying it's my job, but I was part of a large company with delegated roles and complicated operations. I did my job, but I also depended on a lot of people around me. Those delegated roles and the company's reporting structure, the fact Dr. Rosendorf reported to Sonny, not Elizabeth, also played a big role in the cross-examination. 
the defense is not only showing that it was Rosendorf's job, that he was the one who had the ultimate decision, but that he hired really smart, really capable people to work with him, that they were all doing their jobs as well. That really folds right into the defense theory of the company hired well-credentialed people, they were doing their jobs, and none of it was trickling up to Elizabeth Holmes. Wade presented emails between Dr. Rosendorf and Sonny about quality control concerns before the Walgreens launch. Wade again emphasized the buck was supposed to stop with Dr. Rosendorf, the lab director. Ultimately, it's your job to have those concerns, right? Asked Wade. Yes, replied Rosendorf. That's why you're paid the big bucks, right? Wade said. Not as big bucks as you get paid, responded Rosendorf. The courtroom broke out in laughter. Dr. Rosendorf made $240,000 a year, Wade pointed out, one of the highest salaries at the company. Rosendorf snapped back. In retrospect, given the quality issues and the risks and problems at Theranos, and in view of the legal expenses that I've had to go through, I think I should have been paid much, much more. Wade asked the court to strike Rosendorf's comment, and Judge Davila agreed. How do you think the tension between Rosendorf and Wade played in the mind of the jury? Juries generally do not like bickering by lawyers either between themselves or between a lawyer and and a witness. The demeanor for the most part since this trial has begun is the lawyers have been fairly subdued, very professional, uh, without any emotion or active reaction to the witnesses. This one was noticeably different. And I suspect the defense attorney wanted the jury to notice that, that this witness is someone you need to have some distrust for and distrust of what he's saying. If a witness acts too defensively or lashes back at the lawyer, the jury could take that to mean that the witness is trying to hide something or is worried about what's coming out. On the whole, Kreitzberg thinks the defense made some compelling arguments despite the aggressive tone? Well, I think the overall themes the defense was trying to create, which I think they did a fairly good job as, is one, that Rosendorf was in charge of the lab and the decision-making during that time was not only his, but his responsibility. Secondly, he did communicate with Sonny for the most part. That was the direct report as opposed to Elizabeth Holmes. Also, that he didn't raise enough concerns, even though he's expressing he was anxious over it. And finally, some small aspect of, is he trying too hard to appease the government to help them in their case? I think those are the main themes that was helpful to the defense. Even so, Kreitzberg believes Dr. Rosendorf came across as a reliable witness. The defense didn't undermine the government's basic point. Rosendorf did warn Elizabeth, Sonny, and others of major problems before the Walgreens launch. I don't think anyone struck a devastating blow to the government's case. They certainly didn't undermine this witness and his overall credibility. Because at the end, whether you like Rosendorf or don't like Rosendorf, the issue is still going to boil down to, did he warn them? Did they fail to heed the warnings? And then even knowing about the concerns that they continue to speak to investors, doctors, and patients in a way that never took account for those warnings and those problems. Kreitzberg says the question jurors now have to answer 
is whether Elizabeth truly had enough knowledge of the situation to make informed decisions. Did she have enough information so that her representations can be deemed to be uh, fraudulent and with an intent to defraud? And part of what the jury is also going to look at is not only what did she know, but what they often call willful blindness. Did you choose not to look for information that you should have looked for? So after Dr. Rosendorf's four days on the stand, which side came out on top? Who won this week? Winning the battles is never as important as winning the war at the end. I think I would call it a draw. Coming up on The Dropout, Elizabeth Holmes on trial. The defense continues to cross-examine Dr. Rosendorf. The danger of going on too long is it looks like you're trying too hard. It also flags to the jury that this witness is important. This witness hurt us, and we're not going to stop until we feel like we've taken him down. Plus, the birth of a girl boss. I worked pretty closely with Elizabeth initially on the brand social media accounts, and then she wanted to start her own personal Twitter, so I uh, helped her start that as well. And the surreal sideshow surrounding the trial of Elizabeth Holmes. I know that she hurt many people in many ways, but I am still going to walk around with a shirt that says disgrace founder of Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes is my hashtag girl boss. And if we can't make jokes like that, then why are we even here? Elizabeth Holmes, Sonny Belwani, Christian Holmes, and Adam Rosendorf did not respond or decline to comment. The Dropout Elizabeth Holmes on Trial is written and reported by Victoria Thompson, Taylor Dunn, and me. Victoria is the executive producer. Taylor and I are the producers. For ABC Audio, Susie Lewis, producer, and Madeline Wood and Marwa Milwaukee are associate producers. Our field producer is Dia Athen. For ABC's business unit, our associate producer is Victor Ardonez, and our production assistant is Lane Wynn. Mixing and scoring is by Susie Liu and Evan Viola. Evan also composed the music for The Dropout. Our artwork is by Teddy Blanks at Chips NY and Cedric Honstadt. For ABC Audio, Liz Alessi is executive producer. Special thanks to Josh Cohan, Elizabeth Russo, Ian Rosenberg, Eric Avram, and Stacia Deshishku. Be sure to subscribe to The Dropout Podcast. And if you like what you heard, leave us a review. It really does help. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen.